Hello, friends, and welcome back to Pod Return of the Waking Sands. This is a weekly podcast exploring the lore of Final Fantasy XIV. And I'm Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hi, Levi. Hello, Jen. Today, we're here to pick up on the last leg of our Uldah journey for starting characters before the main story quests merge around level 15. Yeah, our world will open up after this. For a normal player, but we're going to take a long detour through Limsa and through Gordania before our world opens up. Yeah, as, as it should be. We'll, we'll know um, the lay of the lands and explore all the jobs in each of those lands before we finally move on with the MSQ in earnest. Before we get going on today's trip, though, what happened last time, Jen? Well, last time uh, we started with meeting Lady Lilira under the Sultan Tree, uh, we had a bit of a, a row there with um, a void scent. And after that, we were kind of tossed all over the desert doing random crap for random people. Um, we met the masked man in black for the first time the uh, at the Sildi ruins. And more errands, more fetching. And we ended, we went to... We had our brass blade employer, Fufalupa, Right, we met Fufalupa. He's in Horizon. He gave us a. He wanted us to check on one of his couriers. So we found his courier, picked up the letter, and we were to deliver it to Leofric in Lost Hope, which is a little. Well, that's outpost. where we are today. Yeah, so we're picking up at Lost Hope. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Do I get a like a Benny for that or? You need to get a Gen or... Point. All right, I'll take a like. Gen Point. Gen Points. That seems pretty. Last time, to be honest, it started very strong with that cutscene with the Sultan Tree, which is a big moment for the Uldah quest line. But beyond that, it really hits a, a big lull in the action there. Yeah, where it's, you, yeah, it's a ramp up. You do one quest for one person, get bounced around repeatedly for a long time. And I was actually, I was a bit nervous. It having been a long time since we last played through the Uldah quests. Yeah. I was nervous about this episode too being pretty boring. But actually, it picks up with an actual real story pretty soon. So look forward to that. Uh, definitely. Like Jim was saying, we pick up this time with us arriving in Lost Hope. And Lost Hope is a refugee camp out in central Thanalan. Things are pretty bleak here. The dwellings are all just ramshackle tents or blankets snaked out on poles. Everyone you talk to there is deeply pessimistic. They have no hope, <laughs> appropriate for the name, and they are just trying to get by. Food is scarce. Uh, and so is so are opportunities, and especially Gil. This is where you send the the brass blades to, um, you know, wither away into um, obscurity. Yeah, this is their early retirement. Quote unquote. Yeah. And Leo Frick is one of these brass blades, as um, he's been sent here. A seemingly honorable man, a captain, in fact. He's our contact right now. We are supposed to deliver this letter from Fufalupa to Leo Frick here. He's, he's not, he doesn't have the whole uniform on anymore, so he doesn't have the face mask. He's, he's got, like, shoulder-length blonde hair, like, center part. You know, like a young guy. Decent enough-looking dude. And we find him moping by the fire pit. He is, he's, he's actually really close to the fire pit. When I was standing there talking to him, I'm like, just, just scooch away, like, two feet, man. Like, your gauntlet's going to catch on fire. He spots us as an easy mark to offload his work onto. Yeah. The job being that he wants us to go kill a bandit baron. He does have a good reason for this. He does, but this is his job, not ours, to be fair. I mean, we are a convenient appearance 
in in camp you know if they're basically getting terrorized by these 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 quiveron uh guys um a neighboring bandit camp so they're they're constantly being um robbed and fucked with so obviously all of their faces are known and he's like if i go over there and take this guy out that's just going to ramp up the the retaliation by you know tenfold so if you go and deal with this guy then all of us here at the lost hope can say we can have plausible deniability of our about our involvement so i think that's a valid reason um it's also funny that like the two of us in game like showed up at this quest at the same time and we're wearing like the exact same outfit it's weird. Oh, of course. A little, a little immersion breaking We have there. very like, few wait, options what? at this what? point. I know. Actually, I look a lot better than I did with my, like, uh, like slop shirt, my slop pants. And, of course, the pants don't go all the way down, so you look like you're wearing ill-fitting clothing. And then the, the, I don't know what sort of top it is, but there's, like, a paunch on the front. Yeah. And you just look like a total slob. The and armor does not look good until 50 in this game, gotta say. You get that special set of, like, it's the, what is it called? Oh, um, was it like the brand new or? I think, it, yeah, the brand new set looks good. It, it does. That was my favorite thing. When, back when I first started the game last year as a Tomaturge, you go through the, the like, I'm a new person, mm-hmm. and you come out with this really sweet looking gear. I'm like, oh, I look like a, you know, a real player now. I then, wore it for a long time. <laughs> it's really good armor, too. It'll carry you quite a ways over any quest rewards, actually, which is a plus and a minus, honestly. And then. Uh, yeah. To reach the manse, we follow a dirt path up a rocky bluff. There are a few non-hostile critters up there. Yeah, we've got some cactuars there. It was the first time I had seen a cactuar. It's kind of a bummer, actually. The cactuars in this game are not very tough. Like, no. there's, like, speed bumps if you're yeah, so inclined. they're cool, and, though. I think these low-level ones, though, um, before you get to the big guy in southern Thanalan, they have, there's just 100 needles and not 1,000 needles. Oh, I see. So it's totally survivable. Of course. <laughs> anyway... There is one good implementation of cactuars in a dungeon, which we'll get to much later. <laughs> it's hard some... to take them seriously. They, they look like, you know, like a like a child pretending to be a tree. They're so cute, and it's a problem because I don't like killing them. Same with the kakirans. When they when they die, they make the most. It's the saddest noise. It's really it's like cute and almost cheerful, but it's very sad. Oh, I feel bad. Well, anyway, those are, those are ascension creatures you're killing there. Well, yeah, it's fine. It's a video game, Jen. It's fine. It's true. <laughs> that is definitely true. Oh my god, this is not real life. So speaking of killing sentience, <laughs> we head up this path right? here yeah. to the manse, and we find a handful of bandits around this little shack, and we can find the leader and beat him up, no problem. Yeah, this was. Um, I think I was mildly over leveled for this quest because I had been going around doing like every side quest I could find. And all my hunter log shit. So I mean, even so, it's hard to have this be a challenge for you. This is not a difficult endeavor. So you walk through all the, the guards and stuff, and you kill him. And then there's a little guy sitting on his butt in front of the fire, and he's just like rocking back and forth, just vibing in front of the fireplace, uh, right at the right at the doorstep of where the Baron is apparently uh, shacking up. <laughs> That's probably not the right term. No, it's literally a shack. He is shacking up. I'm gonna. Thank I'm you. committing. And he walks out, and he's uh, he's a tomaturge, and so you battle him. It takes n- not very much time at all. Literally, I'm fighting him on the steps, and three feet behind me is my little fireplace vibing dude, who is 
he pays no attention. So I go in, he's kill the bear, and, and I fine. leave. Yeah, and he's still just rocking there. I'm like, that's, that's good. It's, like, it's not your business, right? There's also a side quest we can do here. It's to locate and loot some Nashikite yeah. from, that arrived here from some unknown source. It's very suspicious because Nashikite is rare, and it's extremely expensive. Well, normally these side quests have no bearing whatsoever on anything else. But in Correct. this case, it's actually some foreshadowing. Yeah. So it's... note that. And also, I mean, you're, that when you hear the word Nashikite, you're going to remember that little um, Copper Bell Mine quest that you had not too long ago yep. where you had to go in and retrieve the guy's stuff because um, the cobblins came in and there was like a, a thing going down in the mines. They didn't want to talk about it. It's weird though because these side quests really ever relate to the main story quest but this, I, these little groups here actually tie together in a surprising way. Yeah. So we go back to Leofric and we tell him the job's done and he sends us back to Fufalupa in Horizon. We are bringing Fufalupa this antique dagger that gets passed down from brass blade captain to brass blade captain. It's like a, a an heirloom. Leo Frick is, you know, feeling a little down on himself because of where he has been reassigned. And there isn't much good he can do out at Lost Hope. Um, and so he has tremendous respect for Fufalupa and he wants to, you know, give it to him for, for safekeeping for as, as a token of, hey man, I think you're great. Here's my dagger. When we get to Horizon, Fufalupa seems taken aback by this gift. He's <gasps> like, I'm not, wor- I'm not worthy of this dagger. Fufalupa it- is too pure for this world, I think. He's so... He's too pure for the brass blades, he, for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> He's the last honorable brass blade, aside from Leofric, pretty, pretty much. He keeps us busy, though. Our next job here is to go down to the footfalls and to guard some thaumaturges who are out on a relic-seeking expedition. The footfalls are so named because they sit much lower than the rest of western Thanalan. It's reputed that a race of angry giants trampled this place in ages past. Uh, To get there, we head down this long brick tunnel with a cargo elevator. It's got like a mechanically operated platform that goes up and down the sloping tunnel. I love that detail so much. It, It adds so much legitimacy to the structure of this this settlement you know carrying loads and loads of cargo from the port city up to horizon and then distributed to the rest of thanalan oh we also get a lot in the footfalls too because the footfalls themselves are this sunken area that has like these big rocky columns and like overhanging like rocky bluffs above it and it's covered in shallow water and like all sorts of aquatic and amphibious creatures there but there are patches of rocky dry ground and between them there are these stone footbridges that run all the way west to the Vesper Bay. So we can see this path that the merchants take with their cargo coming from Vesper Bay to Horizon and beyond and it's lit even by lanterns that light up at night. Yeah yeah you're using the infrastructure. Yep. Um, and it's not just to you know get the uh, the PC for me to be this is this is all um, a, like a, le- a legitimate part of how their their towns are structured. It's it's great. Yeah, so the area also has these stone, like these cut stone arches and pillars as well, these ruins of past civilization here. And there's a massive statue of a road figure buried up to its chest in the mud. And this is the Silent King for which this area is named. This area once contained more ruins, but it's been scavenged as building materials. Right, just a general cleaning up and rebuilding after the calamity. It's a really beautiful area, though. It is, I agree. Yeah. 
And we head down this path, and we find the thaumaturge is climbing all over the statue. Doing Probably, their stuff. Yep. Looking for relics, doing a little research, maybe taking some etheric readings. Who knows? But unfortunately, the brass blade who's there to oversee the operation, who we're supposed to help, is like, no, we're good. And he just sends us on our way immediately. Very dismissive, which immediately seems suspicious. Like, look, we got we got a thing going here. I, you're, you weren't invited. This is... Of course, Fufalupa sent you. So the fact that they have such, they're like annoyed that Fufalupa got involved makes it, makes me think that they hate the goody two shoes over there, because uh, they're doing something. I, I don't know. That's just the vibe I got. This is Totaruna, another Lala brass blade. She thinks we're meddling, like you said, um, and we're get off on an errand to keep us busy. We're here to now help a Captain Baldwin and planning a party for the Thaumaturges. Yeah, go get some fish for the party. Make sure there's fish for the party. It sounds like a, an attempt to ingratiate the captain with the guild. Yeah, it's actually kind of weird. Like, the, the breastblades are simply there to protect the thaumaturges while they do their work. That seems like a totally reasonable situation. But then after the fact, we're doing this big banquet. Something. It's, I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, anyway, it, so we, now we weird. have to go fetch the fish. And to do this, we go down to Crescent Cove. This is an obviously out-of-the-way destination, as the footbridges down here are just ramshackle wooden footbridges. The planks are mismatched. They're not well-kept. They're much shallower than the, the stone ones going to Vesper Bay. Yeah, this and is a fishing town that has seen better days. The calamity, actually, is what changed things for Crescent Cove, as apparently it destroyed the fish, the population of fish. Yeah, they struggle. So, you know, if there's any sort of... Uh, change in in weather or uh, the um, so the disposition of the seas. Uh, she giveth, she taketh. Crescent Cove is just a collection of wooden buildings perched over the, the ocean, essentially on rocky cliffs. They have a decent little like deck situation. Um, what's it's... docks? Thank you. Yeah, I think the the docks are actually well it's well the well done. Deck of the sea, the it's front porch the... of the <laughs> it's sea. The deck of the sea. <laughs> I think they're they're well built. This is where you find the ferry to the Silver Bazaar, FYI. Not that you're going to ever use it. Yeah, apparently. maybe someone picked it up as an idea to make some money, but we have all these people going I will to say and that, from that, the Silver Bazaar, also a notable place that's bustling <laughs> and prosperous. Yeah. It's 40 bucks for the ferry, which I thought was a little steep. So, I mean, obviously there is still commerce going on here. There are you know fishing nets up, and there are people who live here. They spend their whole lives... Um, work, in, work in the ocean. Um, and some some of the side quests in this area, too, are like, can you help me get all the flotsam out of my nets? And you're helping the, you know, the fishwife clean up stuff for, for her man and um, cleaning up some debris off the docks. And it, it's, these are very, they, as far as f- little fetch quests go, these are the fetchiest. They're, they're just, it's such a micro quest. It's very, so specific to that. I don't know. I thought, yeah. like, really? It, <laughs> like, you're, I, I'm literally walking. It's peak filler, but our contact here, Raf, is concerned about this this delivery, you know, having to go fish up these fish for this banquet, given all the hard times, but he'll do his best. He seemed he seemed nervous. As soon as you said, you know, I'm looking for Captain Baldwin's fish, there was, like, uh, some stuttering involved. So it seemed that immediately he was he was nervous. Like, this was kind of a big deal. Like, you don't... If you're gonna... If Captain Baldwin asks for fish, you better fucking give him fish. It's true. And the quest ends. Like, we stop there, we turn in. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. 
and then it stops and yep. there's no, no next quests nope. for the MSQ. You gotta, you gotta walk around and look for it. <laughs> and what happens though, is that you're walking around like, okay, so I just did that. Now what? Next quest comes from these, these two people talking a short distance away. At the next uh, dock, the next pier over. Yep. Yeah. And the way it articulates is that you you show up and you're actually eavesdropping on them essentially as you approach. So you walk over there and you hear them talking to each other, not to us, about these goings on. Mm-hmm. And of course, Fufalupa is here as well. He's come to check on us to make sure we are oh. doing our job correctly. He's he's he has this face paint. I don't know if it's face paint. It's probably face paint. But these little these little pink circles on each cheek this is war paint and it just it just adds to the level of of innocence and and naivete 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 Na- <laughs> oh shit ah so, so we we in fufalupa overhear this conversation between these two villagers and they're saying something about there's apparently some sort of shady uh transfer of the nashakite from the copper bell mines to the quiveron manse what are the actual? What do they actually say there? That's it. Oh, okay. So uh, they just they just know that there's Nashakite being pilfered from the mines, and somehow it's ending up in the hands of these bandits. And you get the sense if you talk to people here that the bandits have been terrorizing them too. And hearing this, Fufulup was like, "I gotta tell I gotta Captain tell, Baldwin." Yeah. Uh, I gotta, um, yeah, he's got. He's the captain. He should know. And just uh, bless his heart. When these villagers overhear Fufulupa exclaiming and running off, I'm going to Captain Baldwin. Bye! And he runs away. And they're like, oh, wait. Fuck. Actually, no, Captain he, Baldwin's in on it. Is he's what they the tell guy us. orchestrating <laughs> this whole thing. Shit! And but now Fufulupa your quest is, is long to go. Gone. Yeah, now you have to go chase after him and try to stop him before he makes an ass out of himself or puts himself in danger. Too late. Yeah. We rush after Fufulupa and run into Captain Baldwin himself, who is a hero lancer. We arrive just after Fufulupa spills the beans to the captain and to the bandit he's conspiring with at this very moment. <laughs> he's like, Captain, Captain. You can tell Captain Baldwin is a piece of shit because he's got one of those shitty knot mustaches. It's very unsettling. That's all I have to say about that. Fufulupa seems to have missed several memos here as he acts like this behavior is shocking for a brass blade <laughs> to be in on some dirty business. Oh, man. You're just... You're, He's like, Captain, this guy's a bandit. Like, whoa, 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 hold on. So the the captain is talking to one of the Quiveron guys at that very moment. And Fupalupa, I keep saying Fupalupa, Fufalupa runs up. And he's like, Captain, I, 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 you need to understand what you know what's going on underneath our very noses. And then he turns and looks at the guy Captain Baldwin is talking to. He's like, wait a second. Those boots, those gauntlets, you're one of them. And they're like... Yeah. <laughs> and I can't imagine just the absolute oh, pandemic that's going on inside Fufalupa's well, after that, head. He's like, what if Lord Lorito finds out? What if he finds out? <gasps> this upstanding model of the community, Lord Lorito. Well, this is part of his business. Like, you can't be sniping this shit in, in Lord Lularito's territory in his industry. Well, Baldwin claims, though, that the Lord himself is in on the scheme. Yeah, you know what? That that could be kind of yeah, double like, dipping. I, I would not blink once at hearing that. Right. And I didn't. Like, I, I totally, I totally, uh, you know, smelled something bad going on here. But no, it just seemed like it was such a small operation that Lularito would, I mean, he's better than that, frankly. 
Um, and also, it turns out the bandit here is Baron von Quiveron, the fourth <gasps> Esquire. Oh, The shit. brother to number three we just killed. Yeah, okay, well. And he recognizes us and wants some revenge. We gonna fight. We are gunfight. <clears throat> so we're on now to another solo instance. We join up with Fufalupa to take on the captain, the baron, and the nearby brass blades. Here we go. This is kind of interesting. It's not hard, but... This gives you a matchup with a caster, a melee fighter, and two archers. Um, I thought it was, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't clear to me that you have to start, it was just, you know, defeat, what's his fucking name? Defeat, defeat Baldwin, defeat the Baron, in whatever order. Yes. Um, it, it's an easy fight, That long story short. <laughs> yep. Um, and when we subdue them, Leofric has come as well. I'm not really sure why he's here. Regardless, he shows up. Yeah. And he's been doing some investigating as well. And it seems like Baldwin is running a side op and name dropping Lolorito only. He's not actually working for... Aha! Doing crime on behalf of Lord Lolorito, no problem. Doing crime and pinning on him without giving him a cut, big problem. Huge problem. So Baldwin fucked up and he's going to go to jail yep. for his crimes against capitalism <laughs> it's the worst jail of all we keep on investigating the dealings of captain baldwin and we're tasked on checking in on a sealed letter between the captain and an owen who we don't know yet we do learn though that owen is one of the sultan sworn the sultana's personal guard we're not sure why he and baldwin were corresponding this is troublesome because apparently the the sultan sworn are essentially incorruptible so the fact that there is this apparent um, correspondence between Baldwin, who's a piece of shit, and Owen, this has terrible implications. We don't know what's in the letter. We obviously are, this is very concerning, but we don't know how to, to take this. So Fufalupa um, basically says, this is kind of outside my pay grade. I suggest you go to um, Mamodi Mommy in the quicksand. Uh, she's very familiar with the with the Sultan Sworn. She'll be able to give you a better idea of how to approach this. Um, you know, to are we going to open it? Are we going to what are we going to do? So that's that's what we do. Right. Mamodi gives us a recap of the Ulda story in case you missed our first Ulda episode. She tells <laughs> you all about the balance of power between the Sultana and the Syndicate, which is none and all, respectively. Right. So she's she's the monarch, not necessarily in name only. She does still have some. Um, some power there. She's, and she, she has the people behind exactly, her. Yep. And um, so it's her versus the monetarists. However, the Sultana's crown has been stolen. This is a highly symbolic artifact. And without it, Momodi is concerned that the people of Ulda might feel like the Sultana betrayed her. Yeah, it, it, it speaks to a, a number of things. So like, I guess, lacks in keeping the crown safe. Uh, the crown is is the symbol of her reign and her birthright, and to to have it stolen would be. I, I think a lot of a lot of people of Ulda would kind of lose faith in the monarchy at that point. Yep. Um, it's it's that big of a symbol, um, and it's that important to uh, to the Sultanate. And this also gives us a clue as to what Lady Lalira was concerned about over by the Sultan tree yep. last time because she was worried about some unknown thing that has gone missing. Now we know there's a crown missing. It's not too hard to put these together yes. that this is the item in question. So we go talk to Owen himself and get the facts. 
He's in the Sultan Swarn's headquarters up in the upper portion of Uldah. This is next to the Chamber of Rule. I found it very hard to get here the first time. It's, you would think the entrance to the heart of the Swarn would have a little bit more fanfare. We confront Owen with all the other Sultan Sworn looking on. These guys are all armored up, either with their silver armor with the gold trim, or some are wearing like white tunics with blue accents. Owen is a young-looking cure with short white hair. Very young-looking, actually. We pass on this letter from Baldwin, and nobody's opened this letter. It's a sealed envelope from Baldwin to Owen, and nobody has thought to open this and look at it. No, we didn't, nobody wanted to get in the middle of this shit. Well, even like Mamodi, Mamodi might want to Ugh. maybe check the details. So, I mean, she had more familiarity with, with Owen and the Sultan Sword in general, so I think at that point she felt like it would be safe to hand it to Owen, you know, the, the actual recipient of the letter, and have him open it, um, and that would be like a safe thing to do. Like, great. Mamodi says it's cool, then it's cool. That's fair. Now that we're there, though, they open the note, and it's a ransom note. It's a note addressed Classic. from Baldwin to Owen. Which is really shitty of him. Like, he's, he's sending the, the ransom letter to the guy that was supposed to watch the thing. Owen, though, says he'd rather pay the ransom and get the crown back than suffer the consequences of, of having lost the crown 100%. and having to be absent. I mean, there's, there's really no option here. I mean, he's, he's got to get it done. And it's not like he's in a position to negotiate. Well, or maybe he could be. As we'll see in a minute, yeah, this is not a good idea. We, uh, we, we've got to keep the narrative going, so this is how it is. It is how it is. He ropes us into it. It doesn't really articulate very well because we have all the guys in this room looking at us, but it's actually like a side conversation between us and him, as nobody else but us and Owen go out to meet the ransomers. He says that the um, Baldwin's guys, they want him to come alone. So just him asking us is already... Kind of risky. So we go to Central Thanalan. We head east to the Clutch to meet the Ransomers. This is a high-walled valley that goes out towards Gordania. We descend down to the Unholy Air, which is a weird bulbous rock formation with a narrow base. And it's said that this was a piece of the moon Dalamud, or possibly an egg that was laid by Bahamut that will someday hatch. Um, around the base, though, it's just like a shallow basin full of it's water like and yeah. giant toads. A moat around the dragon egg. We meet the thieves led by a big Highlander named Garibald. As we watch, Owen pays a thief, tossing him a pouch of something. Garibald gives us an exposition, saying, Oh yeah, thanks. This contains ingredients to remake the traitor's spurn. This is the biological magical weapon that reanimates corpses and was the downfall of Sildi. Great. And we just gave this guy this ingredient so he can make it again. Guys, guys, this is bad. This is real bad. And, and Owen had no idea what it was he was given, and Garibald's given him such shit. Like, you saw, you saw the demands for the ransom, and you were like, I don't know what this is, but you gave it to me anyway, you stupid jerk. And He is a stupid it, jerk in this case. Yeah, yeah, that's real bad. Um, and now, of course, they're going to kill us versus give us the crown, because obviously... Oh, yeah, they, these are not honorable men. No. <laughs> so, so fight we will. Owen draws a sword, and he's like, I'll hold them off, you run away. What a mensch. I mean, he's, he's doing his duty. He knows that he's going to go down in this, but he's not going to allow us to fight on his behalf. This is his problem, and he's giving us an out. We're not given a choice, though, as just in time, Papa Sean, who has ditched his station master's outfit for a full garb of Sultan's worn armor. He even has a crown he on. He has a, yeah, that is part of the paladin gear, Amazing. that circlet. Yeah. And he rolls up with a host of Sultan's worn. It's like 
seven to ten or something. He's got a lot of guys with him. Yeah. And it turns out he has he caught Owen sneaking around in the vaults and followed him here to see what's going on. Yep. So Owen thought he was doing his own side deal, but Papa Sean and the Sultan Sworn, they followed us here to make sure things did not go awry. This is a lesson for Owen. Yes. If you find yourself in a, in a pickle here, you need to talk to your organization um, so that they can help you do things correctly. Uh, instead of going out, obviously, you know, you're trying to make it right. You made it wrong in the first place, but And still, you made it wronger. You, you, oh my God, it was, he should be grounded for a bit for this. I mean, obviously he's a very um, upstanding young man, but Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> Us, Owen, and Papa Sean... Join the fight. The Sultan Sworn don't participate, though, do they? Here? They, they totally do, yeah. But there's like 10 guys at first, and then there's like three guys down in the water afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. I, I expect this to be a bigger clash than it was. Um, we have like tons of bandits who were fighting, but only a few people on our side, mainly being ourselves, Papa Sean, and Owen up there, and maybe like a, a couple like chumps with no name. I guess it could have been like a bit more dramatic by upping the body count a little bit. To really have those that cavalry that showed up be part of the fray. True, because we're dealing with Garibald. Uh, well, he's the main guy in this in this particular part of the instance, and uh, his his he's got two uh, four henchmen total, I think. More come in during the fight too. Of course, and it's still um, a decent check of your of your skills at this point, especially if you're a brand new player, as as I was. Uh, and trying to make sure that you're splitting the difference between henchmen and whatever in the right way. Yep. And using using your entire skill set that you've you've acquired up to this point. Um, Unfortunately, so. my pugilist does not have any area of effect abilities, so I had to go run down and punch guys individually. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bummer that the the damage dealing classes often do not get their area abilities until later. I just had one that I was just I was spamming. Um, one is a lot more than none. And I was playing as a as a gladiator instead of a taumaturge, so I didn't have my sleep spill. I couldn't put anybody to sleep. When the battle's almost over, this guy um, Garibald summons up a Blanga, another void send like before. This is an impressive thing for a, a random ass bandit to do. It is, and it probably fingers him as being the one who summoned the void send to attack us at the Sultan Tree. You're right. Yep. After we beat them down, we find the crown's not here, but the Sultan Sworn go and chase the stragglers and are hoping to find their got it. headquarters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're like, meet us back in town, we got it covered, and then we're left all alone here. Do-do-do. We catch sight of our masked robe nemesis <gasps> off in the corner. This guy, wherever there's trouble, there he is. He's here to finish the job that the clay golem did not do earlier. Mm, we'll see about that. So he intones a ritual to summon up another void scent. This is a little bit thematically confused because we just fought a void scent you know I-, I wish that they hadn't had garibald summon one because it kind of undercuts like oh another void scent like sure. i just like beat one up in a void center a dime a dozen apparently it looks very impressive like he's got this swirling purple light around him and he has his symbol appear over his mask which will become very familiar going forward yes the red glowing floating symbol in the front yep. of his face the sky here it turns like a, a dark rolling red and the whole scene gets cast in, like this eerie off light it looks super cool it's it's to be down here like oh shit this is like the most visually impressive fight we've had so far yeah like by a long shot he summons up a voice in which looks really cool this guy's huge 
It's huge. It's got like these spindly white limbs, these curved purple blades. It's another gargoyle creature. This one looks like 10 times cooler than the, the Blanga that we killed beforehand. This guy is intimidating looking. And then the fight starts and it's called a lesser gargoyle. Who is it Watch lesser? Out. Technically, right? like, they're all gargoyles. <laughs> How is this one lesser than the little black hoobity do that we got earlier it ruins the tension by this lesser gargoyle popping out to fight you it could also be planting a seed that there will be a bigger gargoyle that you have to fight immediately after this one i don't know but there's not okay we fight the void scent and we we beat it mm -hmm. and then we turn attention to the mage and we actually we kill the mage we cut or punch or whatever him yeah, into the, the water and the he's quote dead. unquote big boss we just killed him <laughs> Thankred rolls up here. Oh, right. Yeah, he runs up and he he joins you in the fight. We don't need him, but he's here anyway. <laughs> he uh, to help action. out. It's appreciated. Good gesture, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During the encounter, the mage drops some weird hints. He says he determined the source of our power and that our very being imperils the plan. He's imperils hinting, the plan. Yes, he's hinting at some greater plot, which there is one. But, of, of course. course, they're being very opaque about it right now. When he's defeated, he mourns before expiring that the wisdom of the paragons should be brought low by mere mortals. Great. So we have the paragons. No idea. Thancred, after the fight's over, gives us a teeny little drop of information before he pieces out again. He mentions that this foe is an Ashian. He is a, the bring, a bringer of chaos, a.k.a. an Asian. It's the first time we hear the word Asian here. Mm -hmm. Thankward says that he suspected their involvement in our dealings, but didn't have confirmation until now. And he's like, bye. See you yeah, later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I guess like, I'll follow up with you later. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, handsome stranger. And once we're left all alone again, this time <laughs> by this dead mage, we inspect the body and find a dark purple crystal, much like our blue crystal. Same shape, same size. And this one dissipates into dark energy as we watch it. Yep. And that's it. That's we head it. back to Ulda, the day one, and we meet with Owen and Papa Sean amongst all the other Solden Sworn back in Solden Sworn HQ. Like Papa Sean was like, yeah, you thought I was just a little train yard guy, didn't you? I didn't yeah. because he obviously knew a lot back there, but he tells us now that he retired from the force 15 years ago. Oh, that's so cute. And he still fits into his uniform. Yep. Good for him. In shape. And as we're being debriefed here, a lady-in-waiting enters and announces the arrival of the Sultana herself. Oh, shit. Exalted Vessel of Nordthal, Guardian of Thanalan, 17th Ascendant to the Throne of Uldar, Her Royal Majesty, Nanamo Ulnamo presides. So she appears in her full outfit. She's got like a bell-bottomed dress going on. I like on. that you... I just have to pinpoint that you use the term bell-bottomed. How would you describe is, it, Jim? No, no, no. I mean, that's extremely apt. It's Her dress is like a literal bell shape. I'm I'm just saying that because bell-bottom is a, is a term for, you know, like pants. I'm aware it's pants, too. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. But she's just like a little... I don't even know if there's like a, a term in like fashion design to describe the shape of this dress. I think we said it. It's a bell-bottom dress. It's a bell. Okay, it's a bell-bottom dress. We are gifted the old dawn ring as a sign of gratitude for our service. It's basically like the key to the city. Yes. Yeah. Except not. It's got okay stats. <laughs> it's like a silver ring with a, a, a like opal on it. A black opal. Yes. Yep. It has like an stat. You're not going to keep it for very long it's in terms just, of your yeah, gear. It's just a However, I still player. have mine in my glamour dresser. Absolutely. You can't get rid of it. 
Yes. You, you earn that shit. It's Same very... thing for the earrings we'll see in just yeah, a moment. Yeah, oh my God. And we meet another important person here too. <gasps> yes, we do. Oh, this guy. Very exciting. This is Raban al-Din. He is the general of the Immortal Flames, and he is the like close personal advisor to the Sultana. He's a huge dark-skinned here. Jin is actually arguing with my notes, trying to tell me that he was a I thought he was a Rogadin. Rogadin. But no, he's just a very he's, large he, hewer. <laughs> he's a very large hewer. Um, and he's got a mixture of like dark leather armor and exposed flesh, mostly muscle. Yep. A, a huge pauldron of a bull on his left shoulder, and he's carrying a shield and two swords. Well, just. I mean, the guy, it's the bull of Alamigo, um, but he is, Jesus, this guy is, well, he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> just laid it out there. Yeah, but and what what presence this guy has? Well, despite their presence, the Sultana's like, Well, Bon. Please hook these guys up with an invitation to this banquet. So he's being the gopher for the Sultana. Big tough guy over here. Well, he's not necessarily a gopher, but, uh, but you know, she trusts him with all manner of tasks. Being invited to a banquet as the personal guest of the Satana for just, you know, we're like just a random adventurer. This is unheard of. What an extreme privilege this is. And Raw Bound is clear to express how unique a situation this is. It's and true. I got, I got immediate good vibes from Raw Bond. Um, he doesn't have a weird mustache. That probably <laughs> We get told to go and see Mamodi, who's going to give us a crash course in etiquette so we don't embarrass ourselves too much at this banquet. Obviously, we have nothing to wear. Let's talk about these characters first. We have the Sultana Nanamo and Raban. These are key characters, which we'll see all throughout the MSQ going forward. The Sultana um, is, for those who do not realize by now, the true identity of the Lady of the Lyra, who we met by the Sultan Tree. And the Lyra is the persona in disguise that the Sultana adopts if she wants to go escape from her supervisors and right. her, her minders. This is like Jasmine from Aladdin when she wants to go hang out with the street kids. Right. Nanamo, as a Sultana, she took the throne when she was five, after her father passed away. This was the perfect opportunity for the syndicate to increase their power as the five-year-old Nanamo was unable, of course, to oppose their um, their seizing of even more power in Uldah's government. At this point in time, the Sultana essentially dances to their tune to even keep on the appearance of her own power. She's only 21 now and is in an ongoingly tenuous position in Uldah. She's aided, though, by a few key allies, including Raban. Huge. If you're going to have a key ally. Yes, we ally, know Raban is huge, Jen. <laughs> but yes, if you're going to have a huge ally, Raban is, is, is one of the ones you want. Um, he's respected by fucking everybody. Yes, for sure. Raban came here from Alamigo. That's a conquered kingdom, which we'll visit much later. Uh, he fought against the conquering empire, but he fled to Uldah when the kingdom fell. And on arrival, he was arrested as an imperial spy. So he's forced to fight in the pits in the Colosseum during his captivity, but due to his great skill, he was able to win his freedom, fame, and fortune. His freedom actually came from Nanamo herself, as she intervened during a match to pardon him officially, and that earned her his loyalty um, from that day onward. Raban used his winnings from the Colosseum to buy the Colosseum itself, and <laughs> that earned him a place on the syndicate. 
So Raulbon is Nanamo's one friend on the syndicate. And he also, like Jen mentioned, is the general of the Immortal Flames, the army. Yeah. I mean, the, the absolute bootstraps on that guy. Thank you, Jen. Raulbon. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Um, so this time I'm very fond of Nanamo as a character, but my first time playing this, I was just cynical about her royalty. Yeah. Like she, she seemed very much at this point, somewhat useless. Um, even though she has very, um, her, her intentions are solid. She's a, you know, she's a kind person. But at the same time, it's just, especially her outfit doesn't help, frankly. She looks like a little child with this. Remember that that uh, Lalafell NPC I found in like Pearl Pearl Avenue, and I was like, "This is the badassest looking Lalafell I've ever seen." Yes. Like if 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 Nanamo could adopt some of that aesthetic to be a little bit more um, imposing. Not only that, but also it takes for me at this age a lot of buy-in for me to trust someone in like. Inherited Absolute power. Absolute power. Exactly. Yeah. And and we now know, which I didn't appreciate as much back then, but I now know, of course, that the syndicate is, is the real power and, and blah, blah, blah. But even so, being asked by this game to like and to trust and to be endeared to this person who is born into power is was a big leap back then. Sure. I think that for me, Nanamo earned my affection. Definitely. But at first, though, I was not buying into this. Yeah. I was like, eh. Okay, well, this is she's she's cute. This is fine. Whatever. The real decision makers here are probably you know Rabon and the syndicate. So back to Mamori again at the old quicksand. Uh, she's got her thumb on the pulse of Ulda. She does. She picks up an accent here for like a hot second. Did you the notice accent? that? Yeah, her speech gets very like weirdly. This is via text though. We yes. don't ever hear her voice. No, yeah. it suddenly gets extremely like uh, dialected. Oh. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I didn't pick that up. Do you have an example? I, I don't recall what it said, but I just noted it. And this was talking about, this is this is the, uh, the briefing, the, the, the briefing right. for the, uh, the, She's the like, banquet. All you got to know is that there's these earrings that every guest to a banquet gets. They're made for that banquet. They're a sign that the person wearing them is allowed there. So the Sultan Sworn can look at someone and see at a glance, does this person belong, do they not belong, based on them having these earrings. Yes. These earrings for this banquet are um, silver with purple gemstones hanging from them. These are actually a pair of earrings. I like the, the single earrings more in I general, do too. Yeah. but in this case, it's a pair. Um, it is what it is. It's still a keepsake regardless. Indeed. However, unfortunately, at this point in the game for a new player, this is your only formal wear. <laughs> and you have your clown suit of like mishmash adventuring gear. My God. You're wearing. I have and like this, like the pot helm, you know, that goes over your the bridge of your nose, and um, this this leather harness on my torso that is just basically a bra because I'm a female character, and so it's just it's it's leather covering the boobs, um, some leather short shorts, and some um, really intense like hard leather thigh high boots, purple gloves, and you're ready to party. And uh, I've got my just meticulously crafted. By the head of the goldsmith's guild herself, earrings. If you know where to go, like no one's going to know where to go if you're playing this game for the very first time. Like one, you're dirt poor. <laughs> you probably burn all your money on like either the, the rides rights. or like Chocobo rides or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> I, just, I just love the visual. Like 
the guy who's blown all of his money on gambling and hookers and booze and chocobo rides. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the floor is littered with cocaine razors and, and chocobo feathers. Nice. <laughs> there, you can plot by formal wear in Ulda, but unless you're being very thorough, you would never catch it. There's no way you can afford it. I mean, you can go and get like like the bridesmaid or the, the bridegroom yep. gear. Um, which would be totally appropriate, but I mean, unless you have fifty thousand gil to spend at this point, which is GD impossible. That's if unless you've started crafting and selling shit on the marketplace for like a month before you decide to well, continue you can't on this even quest sell in things the MSQ. Yet on the marketplace because you don't unlock retainers for a while. There you go. So unless you have like a sugar daddy slash mama, you you can't buy up to any gear nah, that you, looks better than your venturing. You're showing up in your in your mishmash of, of yep. crap with your shield on your back and everything. You look the part, but you look out of place for Definitely. sure in this. <laughs> I mean, there, there are some people in this banquet who are wearing. Maybe more like more casual merchant garb. It's not like a formal affair, but you are definitely the weirdo. And it gets worse, of course, in just a minute. Sure. <laughs> Inside the banquet hall, we're hanging out with Papa Sean, and Raban uh, hoists the sultana up on his shoulder to make an announcement. Like a parrot. Yeah. Literally, like a parrot. <laughs> she calls us out directly in front of all these high ups, thanking us for our service to the crown. Thing. Just, they're, I mean, they're, they're so happy for us. They're, we're the champion of Ulda. <laughs> I'd, I'd be so embarrassed. Just like, kill me now, please. God, could you, could you have loaned me an outfit? <laughs> Later on, Raoban is now a wet blanket on the whole affair as he starts talking to us about the power structure of Ulda and how the, the common people are being exploited by the syndicate and how Nanamo has no power to stop this because the syndicate controls all. And he's a refugee himself, so he's completely aware of what's going on in the city, because he he had to scratch his way up from the very bottom. Yep. And so he, I'm, you know, maybe he picked up on the fact that we see this figurehead, and we don't understand that there's actual substance. Like she, she has an actual moral compass, and she is beside herself um, about the the plight of the the poor in a city and the refugees. There isn't a lot she can do because she has to argue against the syndicate and it's, you know, six to one or whatever. I I like that he pulled us aside to just give us the lowdown on, on who she is and what it is that she is trying to do. And he sees us as maybe somebody who would be sympathetic to her. This gets confirmed, though, because during the talk, our little blue crystal, it starts to flash. Ding, 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 and we pull it out to see what the hubbub's about. It's like our, our cell phone going off. And Raban recognizes it. He knows what's going on here. He tells us far more than Thankred or whoever else ever did about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. He asks us if we've had any weird visions or anything similar recently, which, yes, we have. Yep, all the time. This ability is something in common with the heroes that came before us. In this case, he's talking about the players of Final Fantasy XIV 1.0 before it got burnt to the ground and remade to be the game that we know and love today. You know, we can infer here that the heroes in this game had a similar ability. Mm -hmm. If you played in the original game, you can, I think, you could be playing the same character still now. Even though whenever people talk about the events of the early days, it's all like a haze of foggy memories. So no one really knows for sure who the people were that were the heroes. It could be anyone, which is, if you're going to keep the continuity going from that game, it's a nice way of not saying like this one guy is the main character or like you're the main character and why don't you get special privileges is because no one knows for sure who the main characters were of of that game right and i like that you know in the in the aftermath of the calamity raban says you know as much as we want to remember who these people were all of us are 
our memories essentially just silhouette these people against this blinding light. And that's all we can remember of them. And that's why we call them the warriors of light. He starts to reminisce on these days before the calamity. And we haven't talked yet on this podcast about the events that precede A Realm Reborn starting. So for now, though, we're going to kind of glaze past that and, re- and circle back later on. Yeah. Rob Elm likens us to these past heroes, and he tells us to protect our crystal at all costs. And he knows actually of Hydaelyn as an entity as well. He knows something about this personified entity inside the planet. Mm-hmm. At this point, our old visions kick in again, and we see a flashback to Rauban overlooking a red smoky battlefield along with leaders of the other city-states. So we have Merylweb and we have... Connie Senna. Connie Senna here as well. Um, heads of state on a cliff. Um, it's very dark and there are very obvious uh, noises and signs of um, an intense battle going on. This is the flashback to the final moments of 1.0 before they shut the game down and mm-hmm. relaunched it as A Realm Reborn. And this is where the grand companies of Eorzea are supporting the adventurer's final push to thwart the Imperials and to prevent the Calamity. It's very confusing. Like, you don't know what's going on if you're a first-time player. No. And it's a bit gratuitous, I think, to throw in here without context for first-timers. I guess. I mean, at the same time, though, it, it, it gives you an idea of, well, one, you still don't know, like... As a new player, if you didn't play 1.0, what the calamity was. If I hadn't looked at myself, I still wouldn't. You get more information going forward, but the game doesn't really do a good job of putting all the pieces together. So you kind of, you pick up here with like these kind of fractured elements and they're still in play now. Like the plot of A Realm Reborn picks up from the calamity. It's still relevant. Yes. But it doesn't really tell you all the details. So you're kind of... No. And I think that's great, actually, because this this gives you a story to unravel and to unlock in your own time, which is appropriate because, you know, maybe as an outside adventurer, you don't have this intimate knowledge. That may be true, except for the people who played in 1.0. They do know what happened. Kind of, it's, it's not a... Uh, a one-sided scenario. You have people who were there sure. and who understand what's going on and all these things make perfect sense. And then they're like dropping these hints. It seems like they can't have it both ways. You know, they can't both like allude to some vague events and slowly put the pieces together and also like be like, yeah, you guy, you were there. You get this. I th- I think it actually could work both ways because Raban again mentions that you know, a lot of people's memories were fucked up. And, you know, some some memories of the, the calamity or the battle at Cartno was... Um, are very fuzzy and other people were actually there and they remember very vividly, you know, with the PTSD and everything that goes along with it. So I think, you know, depending on who your character is, it could go both ways. You could have a very vivid, you know, memory of the event or it could be completely cloudy or foreign to you. That could be true, except for the fact that the game wants you to buy into the legitimacy of certain characters that you have no idea who the fuck they are at this point in time. Like, for instance, like, Louis Swa is a big example of someone who was, like, spoken of reverently. And you, though, as a new player, you're like, who the fuck's this guy? Why should I care? Even though everyone in the game talks about them like they're so important. It's like side content that actually explains why everyone cares about him. Even though we see the effects of his actions and his family in such intense detail going forward. So you kind of osmose some legitimacy from the game kind of building him up, but it doesn't give you reason to care about him, even though, you know, everyone in the game's like, this guy is so great and right. he did this great thing. It's just, it's an understanding that this was a very important person and you don't necessarily know why. Anyway, to summarize the scene, though, what happens here is that 
we have these leaders on this clifftop overlooking the battlefield, and they're getting reports in from their different subordinates about how things are going terribly for all their soldiers. And they resolve to, to pull back from the battlefield and throw all their eggs into one basket, being this pushed by these adventurers and by this person, Louis Wa, going to put all their, all their, you know... He's the Hail Mary, apparently. Yes, Louis Wa is the Hail Mary of this effort here. And so they're going to just, like, pull back and, you know, regroup and put them all in Louis Wa. Sorry, yes. Um, so we see on a distant clifftop, there are two Asians talking. Well, Connie Senna, as they're standing up on the cliff and ordering the retreat of their troops, she can she looks over and she sees this this shadowy figure. Um, and she doesn't know what's going yeah. on. You only see the one figure, but then, uh, of course, we, we zoom in on that on that cliff and we, we find that there's two. So we we see that there's our friend, the black masked, black robed Asian that we have just killed. Yes. Um, and then another guy who has a red mask with fangs. Um, and he's doing the talking in that Asian tongue. They're patting themselves on the back about some plan coming to fruition, which we have no idea what it is. This is more what feels to me like fan service for the one point hours. Sure. And then we wake up in the quicksand. Whoops, we Oops. passed out. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> at the banquet. Mamori comes in to check on us and tells us to go see Raoban after we get our wits about us. Raoban. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Raoban's at the Hall of Flames, which is the headquarters of the Immortal Flames Grand Company. The part we get access to is just like the front desk, which is like a long wooden counter with some officers doing business at it. Despite our fending spell, we made a good impression on Raban. He's banking on this crystal and this ability pretty much. Like he doesn't know us very well, but he thinks that we're it because we have this crystal and we have this power. Mm-hmm. And because these people he knew beforehand have the same ability, he's like, yeah, you're the one. You're my guy. And he appoints us as his personal emissary to go and visit the other grand companies of Eorzea and to gather them together for this... It's a memorial. Yeah, um, this like a, memorial. A written service for, uh, for the fifth anniversary of for the, the uh, Calamity. The Battle of Cartano. Yeah. And with this, we get permission to use airships and can travel to the other city-states at last. Finally. And this is where the combined story begins. Me and Jin, we're going to go take a trip now to Lemsa Lominsa and go see where that city takes us before we... It's going to be like four weeks of ERP, I think. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Going to hit up the nightclubs there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're really, we, we want to explore the, the full Final Fantasy XIV experience. The full. <laughs> the, the light side the and full, the dark side. The full frontal experience. Thank you. Frontal 14 experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to take a deep dive here on both Grudania and Limsa before we proceed with the main story quest. But before then, Jen... What do you think? We wrapped up our Uldah quest line. Thoughts? We did it. Good stuff. Um, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm invested. Well, for my part, I think that it starts very strong and ends very strong. But there's this sad, terrible middle where you're doing errands for a few hours. It, it's just like we know from the current content that we can have a compelling storyline throughout it's just they felt the need to put in like this busy work in the middle to pad out the main story quest a bit. Yeah, I think a lot of the this is just, again, getting used to the stuff of the game. You can get used to the stuff, but if you're going to recap that experience, the, the middle Ulda episode experience, it's you run around and talk to a bunch of assholes and, and, and kill some shit. And, and that's like a third 
by recording time of... Yeah, but I think that's the experience in the other um, opening cities as well. I don't think it's defensible, even though it is what it is at this point in time. I think part of the reason why people gripe about ARR before they talk about the other content is that you have to do your time here in kind of going through the chaff before you get to the good stuff. And there's still good stuff here. The storyline is critical to the whole game. Mm-hmm. You you can't throw away ARR and and just pick up in Heaven's Ward and go from there. Oh, no. Because these characters, these events, they, they build and build and build until the climax in Inwalker. And it's an amazing story altogether. But unfortunately, it's such a rough start. Yes. And it does go on for quite some time. Yeah. But I mean, um, even so, there is good stuff. So we've gone from being a random adventurer doing fetch quests around town to now having like the full trust of the general of the immortal flames and the advisor to the sultana it, it goes from zero to 100 right i think if you ignore the tutorializing requirement which i think could be handled better yeah probably go from the sultan tree scene and jump right into the with baldwin lost and hope Owen and, and yeah, yeah and, and leo frick and so on that would be a much better story that that would be it has a lull but it's not like dead space fair Thank you. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate these things a lot more now, having played the game entirely, and I'm picking up a lot more on this playthrough than I did beforehand. And the things which were just background noise, like even this cutscene just now with the Battle of Cardano, that that actually means something to me now because I understand what's going on. Yeah. Before we begin our Lemsa journey, though, we're going to hop over and check out the Pugilist class next time. That's an Ulda too, right? Yes, that is the last of the three Ulda classes. There we go. Well, that does it for the last little bit in Ulda. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And if you like us, tell your friends, tell your FC, and we'll see you next week. Well, Bon. <laughs> nice outro. <laughs> <laughs>